And so today we want to talk about God's kingdom agenda for children. God's kingdom agenda for children. How many people have children? Raise your hand. Right, you have children. How many people are somebody's child? Raise your hand. All right. I'm in the right place. I just want so so just so you think that this doesn't apply to you. You you may not have children, but you are somebody's child. Amen. <clears throat> so turn with me to Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four, uh, or turn your Bibles on, or whatever the case may be. I want to read this passage for you because this is where we'll be getting the gist of this message from uh, on today. From the English Standard Version of Scripture, the word comes to us saying, "Children, obey your parents in the Lord." For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Amen. Now, to understand the importance of God's kingdom agenda for children, we must visit the fourth verse of this passage of Ephesians 6 as our starting point. So we're going to we're going to start in this fourth verse. Paul here states a requirement for fathers or meaning parents regarding their children. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, as we know, this letter of Ephesians is written to the believers at Ephesus and in that region, and by default, it is written to every born-again believer in Christ Jesus and those who have come to him by the message of his gospel. This is important to note because there is a wide gap between Christian knowledge and Christian application, especially in this area. Amen? We acknowledge that this verse is in the Bible, but in many cases, we fail to apply this dynamic truth to our own families. We prefer, it seems, instead to use social science and personal preference over and above what God has said. It seems like we'd rather hear from Dr. Spock than from the Lord God Almighty. We'd rather hear from Oprah and whoever her guest was that week than from, from, from God Almighty. Dr. Phil. The other day I was listening to a Dr. Phil, my, my barber, she likes to listen to Dr. Phil, uh, and I happened to be there at the time. She was cutting my hair, and, and, and there was a young girl on there that was about 13 years old, and the first time she was on the show, one of the staffers, the Dr. Phil staffers, left their car keys right there, and she stole the car. 13. Now listen to what her reason was. Her reason for stealing the car was they shouldn't have left the keys there. Now, you, you laugh at that, but that is where she was. 13 years a parent raised a child to get to a point to say something that asinine. 
that I stole the car because it, the keys was there. And it's really not my fault. You knew I was a car thief when you let me in. That's where we are as a society. So, so we, we, we have chosen all of these things instead of what God has said. And we wonder why children with believing parents get in trouble that there's so much that they do. Paul uses a familiar instructional dynamic here. He says what not to do, indicating that it may have been a common practice for parents to provoke their children to wrath. And he says what we should do, indicating a need for a paradigm shift for believing parents. We can infer that before Christ, parents may have used methods that led to wrath and anger building in their children. But after becoming believers, Paul says we must reject the old ways of sin and embrace the new paradigm of our faith. Therefore, if all things are indeed new in Christ, then so is the manner by which we rear our children. Now, let me help you understand. Some of us weren't reared by Christian parents. And unfortunately, we've taken some of those unchristian ideologies and ideas and we brought them into the dynamic of rearing our parents and we've said things like, well, that's what my mama did to me. And those habits stayed with us as we tried to rear our children rather than going to the word of God, preferring to call upon our own painful past. Regarding this new Christian ethic on child rearing, Paul infers that we reject that which breeds anger amongst our children. Now, what are some of the things which could breed anger amongst your children? Here's here's some things that could breed anger in our children. First thing is lying to our children. Now, sometimes we think that them little lies, not that big a deal. You know that lie that says when you pass the ice cream store and the child said, Mom, I want some ice cream. We're going to stop on the way back. <laughs> right? We're going to get some, and you're hoping the child fall asleep or forget. But invariably, those of you who are rearing children know this. You get home, that child wakes up out of the car, walks in the house and says, I thought we were stopping at the ice cream store on the way back. No. Lying to our children. And I use that, that example, but you know it is, it is very, very harmful to children when parents lie to them and they know that they're lying. Here's another one. Derogatory name calling. Now, I see this far too much over my career in ministry from Christian parents. You're stupid. You big dummy. You're crazy. Get over here, knucklehead. That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. We do that to our children. We call them names. And they're derogatory names. And the child's psyche 
and their self-worth is attached to what their parents think of them. If a father, amen, amen. Come on, give God praise. That's right, that's right. If a father spews venom to a son, the son will think less of himself. If a mother spews venom to a daughter, the daughter's self-worth is affected and she becomes vulnerable to every man that would prey on a woman with low self-esteem. So derogatory name-calling. Here's another thing that breeds anger. Requiring them to, be- to behave properly as you behave improperly in front of them. Well, don't do what I do. Do what I said do. Hmm? You cussing, but you tell them not to cuss. Don't say what I say. You're not grown. Well, that may be true. They're not grown. But if they see that's how you handle a situation, don't be surprised when you get that call from the teacher. Uh, your baby is, is up here calling people names and the derogatory names. Don't be surprised when that happens. So you must behave in front of your children the way you want them to behave. Amen? Y'all didn't have to get quiet on that one. I know that was a tough one, wasn't it? <laughs> so now let us turn our collective attention to what the Apostle Paul instructs us to do in order to establish this new parenting paradigm. He says, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. We are to rear our children. For example, bring them up in the discipline. Now the word for discipline is paideia in the Greek. This word denotes the training of a child, including instruction. Hence, it means discipline or correction or chastening. Suggesting the Christian discipline that regulates character. Now, why do parents need to regulate character? Because character is who you are when no one is looking. Because when your children leave your sight... When they leave the house, if you're rearing a child and you haven't regulated their character, they will leave your house dressed appropriately and somewhere between there and school dressed inappropriately. You have to check book bags today. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Why is this miniskirt in your book bag? You left out of here this morning in some jeans. You know, some kids just nickel slick and a dime short. I'm just saying, right? So we need to regulate character. So just so you don't think I made that up, let's look at the scripture. Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but who loves him is diligent to discipline them. I got whoopings. Now, my parents were very biblical in the sense about the whooping. They believed God about that spare the rod situation. 
But they understood where to discipline. They understood that God gave a location on the human body. That had plenty of meat. And a lot of nerve endings. So you couldn't do much damage. But it would hurt. And that was your behind. And so God provided that for children. He did not mean for you to slap a child in the head. You know, one of the craziest things in the world is, is to call a child dumb and then hit him in the head. You think that's going to help the situation? Not at all. And so, so God says we must discipline our children. Now look at Proverbs 22 and 15. It says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Folly means foolishness. Oh, just think back, grown people, for just a minute. How much foolishness was in your heart when you were growing up? Don't look at me like you've always been saved. Hmm? You had some foolishness in your heart. You were skipping school, doing things that you had no business doing. I see y'all don't want to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> Proverbs 23, 13, and 14 says this. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Now, notice that this is saying discipline, not abuse. There is a huge difference. The word discipline comes from the same root word as disciple. It means to teach. If your discipline does not have as its goal to teach, then you may be abusing. If you discipline your children just so you will feel better, that could be interpreted as abuse. But if you discipline your children with the goal of teaching them how to live, to drive foolishness from their heart. Proverbs 29, 15 and, and verse 17 says this, The rod and the reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. How many mothers have I seen? Standing in front of the judge, crying. Their baby sitting there in the orange jumpsuit. Shackled. Bringing shame to the family. Verse 17 says, discipline your son and he will give you rest. And he will delight to your heart. You discipline them now so they won't embarrass you later. Not only must we demonstrate the type of discipline that regulates character, but we have the responsibility to rear our children in the instruction of the Lord. Now, the Greek word for instruction is nuthesia, which denotes the training by word, whether encouragement or, if necessary, by reproof or evidential argument. Proverbs 4 says this, Hear, O sons of fathers, instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart 
hold fast to my words, keep my commandments, and live. Here's the one you're most familiar with, perhaps. Proverbs 22 and 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, let me help you understand some parents. It doesn't say you'll live to see that day. Right? So don't lament. Don't give up. Train your children the way they should go. You may or may not be around, but the Bible says when he's old, he will not depart from that training. Hebrews 12 and 7 says it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as his sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? What the, what the writer is saying here, sonship and discipline and instruction are inherently tied together. If you are left without discipline in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father's spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So now, so now with the responsibility of parents set, discipline and instruction. So that verse 4 of Ephesians 6 Discipline and instruction. What now is God's kingdom agenda for our children? Here's the first thing we need to understand. Children have a kingdom role. God has a kingdom role for every member of the family. And children have a kingdom role. First, we just look at a broader definition of children. As I said earlier, everybody in here is somebody's child. Modern culture has turned the heat up on our families. Do we know that? Amen? Amen. Modern culture has made family out of fashion. If you want to have a nuclear family, if you want to remain with your family, that's somehow now out of style. You have women trying to be men. Men turning into women. I was literally in a meeting yesterday, and I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to throw it in for free. I was literally in a meeting yesterday where somebody was making an appeal by saying, we can't define what's a man or a woman. Now, y'all know me. (laughs) My face gave everything away. I was like, I have not heard something that crazy. We can't define what's a man or a woman. All of that is under attack by the enemy. And if you're not careful as believers, they will have you thinking, well, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, who knows what a man is? Who knows what a woman is? You have to stop being ashamed of saying God knows because he made Adam and Eve. So rebellion seems to be the order of the day in our families. 
there has been a role reversal. Instead of children obey your parents, it is now parents obey your children. What type of craziness is that? Parents obey your children. And some of y'all are laughing, but you, you, you right there. Everything that child asks you for, you trying to figure out a way either to say no so they'll still love you or to find a way to get it. Now, I, you know, I, I'm going to tell you, I, my children know, I told them from the time they was little, my job is not to be your friend. I, I would like for you to love me. That feels good and warm and fuzzy and all that. But if you don't, that's okay. Because my job is to rear you in such a way that you don't become a scourge on society. And whether you love me or not is not part of the bargain. Because at the end of the day, if you're not on drugs and in jail and doing harm to other people and you learn to love Jesus, then I have done my job. And I will stand before God for a clear conscience. Of course, they think I'm crazy, but that's all right. We've allowed this role reversal because we've sanctioned worldly principles of family and parenting in our homes. We're looking for self-help books when we ought to be looking at the only book that can help, and that is the Bible. So what does Paul say? Paul says this, children are to obey their parents. Ephesians 6 and 1, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And the reason is because parents and children have distinct and separate roles. Anytime your child think that you and them are the same, you have messed up. Something has broken down in that relationship. You have a separate role from your child. Your child's role is to be a child. Your role is to be an adult. And when you start acting like a child in front of your children, they begin to think that it's okay for them to act grown in front of you. See, I'm from the old school. That old school said... That there were times in the household, children just stay out of grown folk business. Do I have two or three witnesses here that grew up that way? I mean, I would, my parents would have company over. I come wandering in the living room. They look at me like, what are you doing in here? If you don't get out of here. I can see one time I had the nerve to say to my mama, boy, mama. You know, your friend sure is crazy. When I woke up, that's all I'm going to say. <clears throat> but because you stayed out of grown folks' business, I couldn't even ask my father about the phone bill. You had kids today asking their parents, did you pay my phone bill? How come you didn't buy me them shoes? You got money, don't you? I never asked my father 
in all of his entire life. Even today, he's retired. I don't even ask him what day his check come. I've never said, Dad, didn't you get paid today? It's not my business. Not my business. So parents and children have distinct roles. A child's, now watch this, a child's obedience is to God. Look at that phrase, in the Lord. We skip that a lot of times when we read this, but it says, in the Lord. Obedience is in the Lord. Now, here's some some things about what the scripture says about obedience. Proverbs 1 and 8 says, hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. Proverbs 3 and 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And if you want to know a good place to start with your children, have them read the book of Proverbs. That is, and it's 31, 31 chapters. They could do one chapter a day. They could do it as a devotional, whatever the case may be. But there's wisdom in there. Now watch, even in Proverbs it says there's a generational progression that happens with obedience. So, so generationally, what are we doing with obedience? Proverbs 4 says this, Hear, O sons of father's instruction, be attentive. He says, For I give you good insights. Do not forsake my teaching. Now look at verse 3. When I was a son with my father, watch this now, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, my father, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and don't miss this, and live. When you teach your children what's right, you are speaking life into them if you believe the word of God is life why don't you just take a moment and praise God for that his word is life so watch this now so so Paul says that that this obedience thing is the right thing to do he says for this is right it is right for children to obey their parents it is the right thing to do if you are allowing your children to disobey you without consequences that's not right you are doing your own children a disservice now some of you sitting here today and you wondering about well i have grown kids what about this adult children thing? I told you everybody in here was somebody's child, right? If your parents are still living there, there's a, and you're an adult, what about this, this grown children thing? How long, pastor, must we obey our parents? How long? As long as my daddy is living. My parents came to my house last year and stayed two months. Amen. <laughs> she ain't lying to us. It wasn't easy. My father likes to play cards with his friends. And so I had the audacity one day to ask him, why was you going all day playing cards? 
Now I'm sitting in my house on my sofa. And I quickly realized I was out of order. And so understand how long do you have to, how long do you have to obey your parents? As long as they are alive. I've gone to my father's house in Phoenix, Arizona. He said, boy, take that garbage out. And I'd be like, man, I'm 50-something years old. You trying to tell me that? That's in my mind, y'all. I'm not saying that out loud. I'm thinking this as I'm getting the garbage together. <laughs> but so, so, so you think about, you, you obey, you always Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now, that doesn't mean you obey unrighteous things. Like my father can't tell me to go rob a bank. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to do 20 years, Dad, because you didn't budget your money well this month. I'm just, that's just not going to happen. But as long as they're godly and righteous, you will always obey your parents. Navia, you will obey your daddy as long as he's alive. Okay, baby? That's right. Amen. And disobedience shows up in us in so many ways. I mean, some of you, I can see you thinking right now, have I been respectful to my parents and I'm a grown person? You have to obey them. Now, that takes us right to the next thing of children honoring your parents. So verse 2, Ephesians 6 says this. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. What does it mean to honor? The Greek word here for honor means to hold in the highest regard. Some of you have a favorite entertainer, actor, sports figure. As children, you know, when I was growing up, we loved Michael Jordan. And people saw Michael Jordan posters all over the wall. They didn't even know Michael Jordan. But you have parents that fed and clothed you every single day of your life. They didn't always do the right thing. They didn't always make the right choices. But you are here mainly because either God rescued you from some of our parents' failures or your parents were used by God to help you be where you are today. So you hold your parents in the highest regard. Now, Notice that honoring your parents really here, Paul doesn't say because they deserve it. See, we start doing value judgments. Well, mama, you know, you beat me quite a bit when I was growing up and uh, uh, <laughs> I really kind of think that, <laughs> you know, you ought to apologize for some of them whoopings I got. I'm just <laughs> So we, we, we start making judgments on what our parents did. The Bible here does not call for our judgment on our parents' job that they did. It says, honor your mother and father, and it's for your benefit. 
That's why you honor them. So how do we demonstrate honor to our parents? Watch this. We demonstrate honor. We honor them emotionally. We have to spend time with our parents. I'm realizing, and, and there's only 20 years that separates my father and I. So in a lot of ways, my parents were kind of growing up with me. You know, I was on the scene. I was there. They, they had to become parents at a very early age. My father was 20 years old. My mother was 19. She was a, they were a young couple, and they stayed together 54, 54 years now, 55 years in a couple weeks. Amen. Praise God. They stayed together. And, 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 and yet, as they get older, I'm recognizing that time is important for them. You know, there was a time in my life where I just assumed my parents would live forever. Amen. I just thought, you know, my dad was a strong guy. He worked in the mill, all those kind of things. And then as I got older and I started seeing changes in him, he started slowing down a little bit. And I started thinking to myself, how can I honor my father emotionally? I need to spend time with him. I have to call him. You know, I, I have to go out to Phoenix and just visit. In, in, in a few weeks, I hope to take a trip and just go out there and just spend a few days with them. Because time is how you honor them emotionally. Spend time with your parents. Then you honor them verbally. Speak well of them. Now, some, some of you will protest that. <laughs> Be like, Pastor, you don't know my mama. That lady was crazy. And she didn't just get crazy. She always been crazy. You don't know them. You don't know my father. He wasn't there when I was growing up. You asking me to honor somebody that did not honor me. From a justice perspective, that is a righteous question. But God is not calling for you to just execute justice. But he wants you to execute what he gives to you. Mercy. Grace. There is nothing greater in your growth as a believer to honor and give grace and mercy to somebody who doesn't deserve it. Because that's exactly what Jesus gave to you. How undeserving are we? And yet we want to give justice to the parent that failed. We want to X them out of our lives, never speaking to them again. You're a Christian. Speak well the fact that you have a parent. Now here's a, here's a tough one. Here's a tough one. Here's a tough one right here. We honor them financially. So you won't think I made this up. First Timothy 5 and 8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Ooh. If you don't take care of yours, some of us think, well, I'm going to put my mom and daddy and put them in a, in a home and let them languish in that home. This is why I love the Latino culture. 
Can I say that for a minute? Y'all don't put parents away. They stay with the family. Oh, I wish I had somebody here. They stay in the house. You change your whole life because mama is now living with you. Daddy is living with you. Honor your mother and your father. And here's the reason. God throws this blessing of honor into your life. He adds this great blessing of honor. He says that it may go well with you. Now I'm going to tie this to some current mess that you might be in. If you're not honoring your parents... It is not going to go well with you. I didn't make that up. If you're ignoring your mother and father, if you're disrespecting your parents, if you don't care about them, if you're not supporting them emotionally and financially and verbally and all those other ways that you to honor them, it's not going to be well with you. Now, it may seem well. But the day will come when your children will do the same thing to you. Honor them. Because the Bible says that it may go well with you and that you might live long in the land that the Lord has provided. You must honor your parents because if you don't, You are cutting off your own days. Seems to me God takes that pretty serious, doesn't he? Let me finish with this. Our Lord Jesus set the standard for honor. Now, I want you to understand this. Every one of us knows Father, Son, Holy Spirit. These three are one. But when Jesus came to earth, in the Old Testament, God is referred to as Father only 13 times. But when Jesus came to earth, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem and grew up and began his ministry, Over 150 times, he referred to the Father. That sets a standard for honor. So here you have these three who are one. Watch this now. But one, because of where he is, honors the other because of where he is. Jesus said, The Father who is in heaven. I'm not there right now in the sense of my uh, my physical presence. My body, I'm here on earth. I'm fully God, fully man. I'm, I'm here, but I'm honoring my Father who's in heaven. Jesus set the standard for what it is to honor the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, there's some important times he did this. 
in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prayed in agony, facing the cross. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. When he was on that cross, Jesus looked at those who were mocking him, who had nailed him to the cross for our sins. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in victory, he honored what the Father had done. In Matthew 28, 18, he spoke of what the Father had given him. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. If you are blessed today to have godly parents, honor them as you honor your Father in heaven. Bless them. Love them. Obey them. Support them. For God has set a beautiful standard in the relationship between God the Father and God the Son to show us what it is to honor our fathers and our mothers. Let's do this so that it may be well with you and that your days may be long in the land that the Lord has given you. God bless you. Amen. Come on, let's give God some praise.